0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.
0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, serial entrepreneur and author, Chris K. Jones. Chris, my friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today?
2: Hey, Michael, thank you for having me on. Really excited to be here. We, we definitely resonate on so many different levels. And what's happening for me in my life is uh, I just launched my, my first novel after a 30-year career in being a serial entrepreneur and CFO. You know, It was always my dream to, to write and uh, being able to do that. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about the journey.
0: Yeah, very much excited. You and I share many, many alignments. Uh, and so I know this is going to be a really interesting conversation, if not for anyone but us. So that said, um, before we jump into things, tell us how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, it's it's really, it started in childhood where uh, I have a very, very vivid imagination and always have what I, I couldn't draw. And I just didn't have that ability, but I found out that I could write and describe these things in my head. And it was the only way to get them out and then take them to my friends and we'd act out all the things that I wanted to do in our, in our world's of make-believe that we would create. And that kind of started me on the journey. Then in high school, uh, my creative writing teacher, Mr. Botanic, who I dedicated my book to, uh, he really saw something in me and, and encouraged me to continue writing. Uh, but I also have that right—the uh, left brain side. I'm left brain and right brain, and I have logic, and I enjoyed business and learning about small business, entrepreneurship, accounting. And when it came time to decide between creative writing or accounting, uh, the logical side won out, and I chose accounting. And then even in high, in college, my sophomore English professor said, "Chris, you're really talented. You should pursue your writing." And I said, "You know what?" I grew up so poor, I just don't want to be a poor, starving artist. Mm. So a lot of that came to me and said, I'm going to go out, I'll make some money, and then I'll write. And it took 30 years of up and downs. I started my first business uh, right out of college. I was 23 years old and in the freelance economy when it really didn't exist, but there weren't any jobs and I could not, I would not fit in a corporate environment. Just wasn't going to be me. I tried it. I was the youngest accountant hired by this environmental firm. And I worked seven days a week, uh, 12, 14, 16 hours. And during the summers and in the, in the breaks. And, uh, but it was a very corporate environment and I just didn't fit in. So I decided I was going to open up my own. Just there wasn't a job. I'll make my own. And there, there's this really wonderful part about being in your early 20s and not knowing better. And I didn't know better until people, I had an uncle who uh, sold planes to the Japanese and he said, "Uh, you're too young. You can't open up a consulting company. You're too young. I was like, too late. I already have a client. And, and it started from there. And it was a struggle, you know, it was absolutely a struggle and the days of deciding between do I put gas in my car or do I eat today? Uh, It wasn't, it was a hard, hard road. And I know you had, had those same experiences of, uh, of just living that tough life. And I don't regret it, but it definitely sucked and I didn't like it. And that drove me and it really drove me hard. And always, you know, even in sports, I was an athlete, my entire, uh, my entire life, I was a competitive athlete, but I wasn't a superstar. I was, you know, the, the grinder. And that's always, you know, I had an older brother who was just great at everything he did and I wasn't. And I just said, all right, I'll be the guy who works hard. I'll come to practice early. I'll leave late. I'll do extra. And that was always my MO to how I was going to get it. To the point where in high school, I ran so much to, because I wanted to make sure I made the soccer team. I broke both my tibias. Mm. And I just ran until I broke in wrestling, starved myself to the point I wound up breaking my collarbone. You know, so many unhealthy experiences because of that desire to fit in. And and want to be in, but it helps. It's all good fodder for for fiction, you know. But really, these traumas set in, uh, and you know, I like to use my writing to get that. So back to the career, it was going okay. Then I got involved with tech and did started to do pretty well. I uh, I did well with one uh, Texas speech company in '99. I helped raise two million dollars for them. Sold their software to Microsoft. It was great. Finally, I made a bunch of money. I thought, this is great. Never gonna have to worry about money again. Put all the money into another startup, a a gaming, uh, mobile gaming, so we're really early on in in that. And um, I raised money August 31st, 2001, just to get us through September. We had contracts with all the major phone companies ready to go. 11 days later, the universe changed. Mm -hmm. And they didn't return our phone calls till November. Nothing happened and we couldn't fund the company anymore. I lost everything I had and then some. So I was deep in debt. And, you know, I remember just really feeling because I think there's nothing worse than being poor, making money, and then losing it all. It destroyed my, been confidence. there. <laughs> you know, it, it really destroyed my confidence. It really made me feel. Com- you know, I think that you know, when we start talking about trauma, mind is always a not good enough button, which is why I was always willing to push myself. Cause you know, I always had that whatever I do wasn't gonna be good enough. I had to work harder, 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 do more than anyone else could do, because that was the only way I was gonna measure up. And you know, getting to that point and feeling I finally made it, and then having it all taken away for an it wasn't I didn't make a strategic mistake, I didn't make a financial mistake. A bunch of terrorists drove a plane into a building and killed a bunch of people and drove us through a war and recession. But still, it still played on me. And that, you know, really had a hard time recovering from that until a friend of mine, was, uh, I'm Buddhist and my and buddy called me and, um, and I'm, you know, doing the wham, wah, wah, feeling sorry for myself. And he said, Chris, don't worry about it. You're a survivor. And I said, What? Because you're a survivor. I said, God damn it. I am a survivor. Then after that, I made a, uh, a goal. In 90 days, I will get a new contract. I was going to just restart my consulting. 89 days, I got a new contract. Mm. So it just shows I really do believe in that power of setting a goal, really going for it. And I called everyone, emailed, did everything, everyone I met. And nothing in my life is, I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm sure nothing in my life is direct it's like I contact this person and I get, no, it's like this person. And this person talk to that person and that person. And I get a call out of the blue and it just went like that, but that helped me recover. And then, um, 2009, I partnered with two other uh, friends of mine and we started a construction equipment rental company. I didn't know anything about the business, but picked it up. And, uh, in 10 years, we grew it to 11 locations, 125 employees and, uh, and then I sold it in, in 2019. I started writing again like in early 2014. I wrote a play about two Marines and their PTSD and how they dealt that um, and started uh, just just writing whenever I can. So you know, logic, CFO brain during the day and then go home and then write at night. And that's what I did for, for years uh, until – uh, we sold the company. And then my last day as CFO of the company I co-founded was January 31st of 2020. And so then I'm trying to like, okay, what's what's my life going to be like? And then we go right into pandemic. And the funny thing is uh, in January, you know, I, I'm a big goal setter, like I said. And in January, I set my goal and I said, you know what I want? I want to spend more time in my house and have isolated time to write. I was like, wish is granted. You yeah. can't write your wish for. And, totally. uh, and then, um, you know, after I started writing and, and really started going through and, and putting Headcase together, uh, I uh, got a, uh, an email from my lawyer who's originally from Barbados. And he said, they're doing this welcome stamp program mm. down in Barbados. And um, I was number 514 on the application list and in september packed up everything uh you know i had someone watching over my house and i went down to barbados and the the background that you see that's my backyard at at my home in barbados and uh and i wrote my novel there so it was a you know really it was a pretty amazing experience and then come back here to, to do the marketing
0: to the free event. Watch it live with us this December. It'll be myself speaking along with amazing human beings like Anthony Trucks, Jamie Bronstein, Leslie Logan, and a special interview that I'm doing with Dr. Gabor Mate that has never before been released. So come and join us, myunbrokenlife.com. All you have to do is put in your email. We'll send you over the registration. You'll be able to come and join us, watch live. And then if you want access to the recordings or more information there for you to keep them forever. But in the meantime, go sign up block it off on your calendar. This is going to be a transformational experience that you do not want to miss. Head over to myunbrokenlife.com to register for free. Until next time, be unbroken. Yeah, man, we have, yeah, like I'm sitting here listening, I was like, yep, did that, get that, uh uh-huh, yep, been there, uh uh-huh, copy that. You know, that's really interesting to me. And, and, you know, I I remember being young, sports were for me what I thought was gonna be the escape, right? What One of the greatest moments of uh, I don't think I've ever said this on this show. One of the greatest moments um, in high school sports is I got accepted to wrestling camp in, at IU with Dwayne oh, wow. Goldman and Dwayne Goldman. And uh, at that time was the alternate coach for the U.S. Olympic team or was going to be. I, I don't really remember what happened. And I was like, oh, this is my future. I was like i'm gonna get out of the hood i'm not gonna be homeless like this Mm -hmm. is my thing and then by the time i was a senior my knee got wrecked in a match the rest is history right and and i I always remember these moments of just the massive self-torture of what it takes to be involved in that sport and and i would i would kill myself right Mm -hmm. but it it was Here's what's interesting. You said not being good enough. And I remember that and also other experiences of my life being like, if I can get other people who are male figures in my life, mainly the adults and the coaches to see the work that I do, then I will finally be good enough. And I found that even into today, and I had this conversation with my mentor not that long ago, I said. It dawned on me, man, like there is something that just drives me for you to just go, good job. And I realized, and of course, this, this thing we call life is iterative and we are always growing. I realized like the reality of that moment was like, man, there's just always more work to do. There's always more things to figure out. So as you're, as you're young and you're, you're going through these experiences, did you know that you were pushing yourself that way because you weren't good enough?
2: Yeah, I just was willing to do anything to to make the team, and I would just ignore the pain. Uh, I've always been pretty disciplined, um, but even in wrestling, uh, it turned to I developed an eating disorder that lasted till I was my till around twenty one, twenty two years old, of uh, just from bulimia. My parents made me eat. I went upstairs, threw it up, mm-hmm. and then that even folded into more body issues for me. And I know it's like, you know, men don't like to talk about our body issues. But I did I had them and just just always felt like, you know, I, I saw the posters that girls had in their college dorms. And I don't look like that. I don't have those genetics, you know, um, even at 98 pounds and starving, I still didn't have like ripped abs. It's just just not my genetics. You know, and it, and so realizing, OK, they're never going to accept me. I just can't. I, I just better get thinner or whatever and just work out more. So go to class, work out, you know, come back. And that's all I did to the point where you really start hurting yourself. But the good thing is, like you said, life is iterative. I call it there's everything in life is reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And I got to do wrestling over by going into judo. And for me, that was my competitive sport. And my goal was I am going to do this the correct way. I didn't cut weight. I didn't really get hurt. I, I did really, really well. Because for me, the battle was the scale and not my opponent. And when we get distracted by that, because I thought if I just make weight, I win. And to see how much I was going to starve myself. And it's so unhealthy. It's such an unhealthy mindset. And going to judo, and it was actually even my Buddhist teacher was the one to tell me, he said, go take judo. And I knew it was going to have more than just the effect of you know what it was going to do for me athletic ways, it, I learned so much about myself and fear, and you know just the the fear of of falling and and falling throughout in my life, and it really helped me. I did really well. I progressed. It was something that was really helpful and and really changed my whole life. So I look at everything in ways where whenever I failed to do it again and say, well, I can reincarnate this and just do this because now I have more wisdom. Now I have better technique. Now I went out and sought out help and I got a coach and I got a mentor or if I didn't, I never really had any mentors. I used to call them my 60 second mentors where I just meet these people and I would always ask them questions. I was very much like, let me ask them how to be successful and just listen. And people always talk to me. And they would do that, and I would listen, take notes, and, and that's the way it went about life. So even in college, too, um, I had severe test anxiety. I uh, did not – I was – so I'll, I actually got kicked out of the accounting department eventually. So I'm a three-time CFO of the year. I don't have an accounting degree. Mm. I'm a really good accountant. <laughs> but
0: Yeah, no kidding. It was,
2: it was just that I couldn't take a test, and that beat me up. I didn't understand it. It was a way until I went away to on exchange to in Newcastle Pontine and I, and I got straight A's. Well, what happened? It was all papers and presentations, things I excelled at. And so yeah, I The things to, that
0: actually matter in accounting too, right?
2: Yeah. How to present. So I'm a, a visual kinesthetic learner. So hmm. I need to feel it. So it was really funny. Like working with my editor, uh, Ben Obler, and he was in New York and I'm down in Barbados and I and I, and I said, Ben, all right, so you're going to get frustrated with me. You're going to teach me things over and over again, and I'm not going to get it. And you're going to think, "What is it with this guy?" And then one day it's going to click, and I'm going to go well past what you taught me. And that's what happened because I know how I learn. And I think that's really, if you, if there, if I have one piece of advice to give out to your listeners, it's go learn how you learn, and go because you will feel so because. Maybe you can't do things the way the other people do. Maybe reading books doesn't work, but audio does. Learn those modalities that work for you. For me, I got to feel it. You know, even at judo practice, I would get down on the mat and look and I had to see and be exactly and then feel it. Because as soon as I can feel it in my body, then I learn it. And so sometimes I have to read things over and over again. But when I get it, I get it. And I can go back and retain all that information. So you have to really learn how you learn. And if you can do that, um that's really great
0: that, that's such a great point. I am an auditory learner, like through and through. That is literally the reason why the podcast has been something that I've put so much into. Because I'm like, if I can sit down and listen to these people who are a lot smarter than me, tell me shit that keeps me from having to learn the hard way. I'm like, I can adapt that to my life. But, you know, I, I think in the learning aspect, there's always there's also like the practical side of it and the execution side of it. You know, similar to you, I've, I've done martial arts for a very long time, jujitsu and Muay Hi. And you can sit there and listen or ask questions all day long. But until you throw a hook kick, you don't know how to throw a hook kick. Right. And and one of the things that I, I want people to think about, like, especially like listening to this podcast or listening to conversations or you know, when they step into to reading your book, it's like you have to think about what it means to actually execute, right? To actually do the thing that you're learning. There's, you know, it's really funny we're having this conversation today because i am Kevin Hart just released a brand new podcast. What's well, an interview he did with Jay-Z. Jay-Z never does interviews. He's absolutely my number one entrepreneurial hero. If I could interview anybody on planet Earth, it's that dude. And he was talking about this discrepancy in the exact guise of what we're talking about, of where we are versus the thing that we're trying to accomplish. And there's this narrative, I wrote a giant whiteboard on my, you can't see it's on the other side of the office, says close the gap, right? So many people, I think that's the difference between success and failure in life. And to me, I hear close the gap, I go, that is the action. You know, here's what I wanna go back to. And the reason I'm, I'm prefacing with this thing that i listened to today is because here you are, you find yourself at 23, you go start your own business, entrepreneurship was not cool then. Honestly, it's still not cool. People just think that it's cool. Um, It's hard work and it's super fulfilling, but it's honestly kind of mundane and boring, right? Let's let's call it what it is. But you were like, I'm going to set this goal, 90 days. I'm going to get these clients. I'm going to do this. I'm going to create this. And you're struggling, you know, food or gas. Like I have been there and a lot of people have been there and it's not even necessarily in the entrepreneurship, but it's just in life. Like sometimes we are literally like food, or gas, what have you done, or what have you learned, maybe not only from yourself, but from other people in your life, about how to keep going, how to close that gap and take the action, especially when it's scary, or there's a lot on the
2: line? A lot of it is, so in all of our trauma, and and even in our, my not good enough button, that sometimes would be the driver because I, would be, I wouldn't want to fail. So I would put in the extra time. I would go talk to the people. I think it was that fear of failure that drove me in so many different ways. I remember even when in college, I would drive up the worst street in Trenton on my way to school on Calhoun Street just because that I would scare myself and say, if I don't graduate, this is where I'm going to end up. So in that case, you can kind of use, you know, your own fears to propel you, but I would use that and just, I constantly kept the vision of what the future would be. So I kept that both in my head of what could be. And then if I don't get what could be, then I get this and which do I want? And if all that takes is effort, well, I can put in effort. I can put in more time. I can go ask and be humble and say, Hey, you really did this really wonderful thing. You succeeded. Can you tell me how you did it? And, and, do, and on that, I
0: want to stop you real quick. Do you find that people are willing to support you in that moment?
2: All the time, all the time. You know, some of the, the best lessons I got taught were um, at that, my very first client, the CPAs came in and it was definitely rookie hazing week and they definitely beat me up and it was, yeah, it's what you do, but they taught me something and they said, Chris, It's not about the numbers. It's all about people. And if you want to succeed, you have to get really good with people. So, okay, well, I can do that. I I can do that. Then they said, you got to create value. I said, what do you mean? I do bank recs and general ledgers. And they said, no, you figure out a way. Increase revenue, decrease costs, maximize efficiencies. And that's stuck with me for my entire life. So any client that I went into, how can I increase revenue? How can I decrease costs? How can I maximize efficiencies? Any person going to any job, whether it's your own company or just a, a position that you take, you can apply that and people will appreciate it. And then if you start doing that. So those are the types of things I did go and ask people. I, did, I was so thirsty for knowledge and understanding and humble enough to realize I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, you know, and sometimes I still don't, you know, and and it's not, and I have no problem asking questions of people, um, when they, when they're the expert on something, I don't feel the need to know everything or be anything. I mean, learning to write, I had to learn a completely different skill and there's a lot of things I didn't know. And it was really great working with my editor. And he taught me so much and I learned, but I asked him lots of questions and I wanted to know, I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, do you have the drive that you, you to get better? Do you want to get better at whatever you're doing? Are you willing to perfect your craft? And I think, you know, in martial arts, it's one thing is like, we realize that I'm going to do this move 5,000 times. And I'm probably still going to suck at it, but it doesn't deter you. Right. Cause you just want to do it. And, um, I mean, I'm sure even your craft of interviewing people and questions and this and that, like it's practice, practice, practice. And I think that as long as you're willing to put in the effort, uh, you know, I, I guess another um, way to look at it, I wasn't the most skilled, but my conditioning was always up to me. So I always made mm-hmm. sure that I was not going to gas. And because that was completely in my control. If I gassed, my fault, right? Nobody else. You're going to meet a guy. He's going to, he's going to throw me. He's going to, I'll be, be beaten by people. I may make a mistake. That's going to happen. you just, you're going to get your ass kicked. There's always someone bigger, better, faster, stronger in anything you do in life. But if you learn from it, and if you, at least you go in, I went in prepared, you know, Peyton Manning said that. I love it when he's like, well, how, what do you owe a lot to your success? He's like, I prepare, I prepare more than any other quarterback. And Tom Brady said the same thing. And I think it's how we prepare for the things that we're going to go into And it doesn't mean that you have to be so controlled and so wound tight. You can leave some room for um, creative interjection, for, you know, an audible here and there. And that's kind of fun, too. I mean, I like I love Q&A when I do a reading. I love Q&A because I just don't know what questions they're going to ask. And it's a lot of fun. You know, and I think if you if you find that balance and I'm always about the balance between like structure and then giving yourself some freedom. I'll give you a good example. So the pro- I've always been incredibly results-oriented, but writing is process-oriented, especially fiction. And I can muscle a spreadsheet at 12 hours on a spreadsheet. No problem. Got it. No problem. But you can't do that with writing. And there were days that I'd spend two hours on a paragraph. I'm like, this
1: sucks mm-hmm.
2: so i go outside and luckily i'm riding on a beach and i i have that benefit and i just go stare at the clouds for a while find some cloud animals and then come back in and get back to work and and then you know you, you'll find that groove so you learning how to be process oriented was very different to me and it was very interesting because i still have that that side of my brain that's like where's my results what's the roi on this where when are we gonna make some money and the, you know the artist just wanted to say, "Go have a cup of shut the fuck up." And so so what I did, you know, and this may seem kind of silly, but I created a timesheet. So I kept my time, and I kept hours of how long? It took me 712 and a half hours to write headcase, because I kept a timesheet, and that kept that side of my brain quiet because it had its metric. And I think yeah. understanding yourself you know, in a mission to learning how you learn, it's really understanding yourself about how you approach anything and, and being okay with the struggle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My, my mentor, Tom Bilyeu always says, the struggle's guaranteed the success is not. And, and it's so true. You know, when I, I, when I wrote my first book, Think Unbroken, I was sitting on a beach in Thailand, like between Muay Thai classes, right? Like sitting here, beat up, bruised, mat burns all over my legs and my feet, honestly, like in physical pain and just being like, you said you were going to write at this time. So you sit down and you write at this time. And and the thing that I think is really fascinating and, and look, people are like, oh, these guys wrote books on beaches. Let's be clear. I sold fucking everything I owned to go sit on that beach. Like there was a lot of process in that. But you know, here's what's interesting. You you said something that I think is so incredibly true that preparedness is like this really interesting precursor to the most successful people on earth. But what's, what I find to be interesting, especially like coaching people and being involved in people's lives, whether it's in mental health coaching or in business coaching or in pods of purpose or in this, it's like what I find to be fascinating is people are like, well, I got to get prepared to get prepared. And I'm like, That doesn't really work. And I, I think that it's the execution that terrifies people. It's the facing the fear and they'll sit down and, you know, especially if they're analytical like you and I, they'll go, all right, I need the spreadsheet. I need the checklist and tell all the things are on that. I can't possibly take that step mm-hmm. forward. And I'm always thinking like, dude, if I don't pull this fucking parachute while I'm falling, the parachute doesn't work. So so how, how have you been able to navigate that? Like this is a really interesting, interesting dichotomy, right? This thing about about being good enough, perfectionism, trying to honor and perfect your craft while balancing that against recognizing that failure is inevitable and you have to be willing to step into that. Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show, but I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma,
2: can teach you many, many things. Uh, it can really teach you what your limits are. And I think it's really good to, in your youth, in your 20s, 30s, to take a whole lot of chances and fail. It's really great to see what your limits are. It's really great to see how hard putting it, I'm glad I put in those 80 to 100 hour weeks when I was 22 and 20, 21 and 22. Because I knew then later on what my limits were and what I what I could do, uh, and what I couldn't do, and I knew I didn't want a life like that because it was horrible. I was stressed and uh, you know sleep deprived and you know it was it was really really horrible. And but I'm glad I did it when I was young. So I think it's okay to go through and fail. Th- and this is you know maybe the advice that I would be giving to my 20 something your old self is. It's okay. You're going to fail a few times, but from that, you're going to learn and you're going to grow and you're just going to get more determined. And I was that guy. I've always been that guy where right? I got thrown, I get back up, I go at you even harder. And I get thrown again, I get back up, I go at you even harder. And, you know, maybe I'm just stupid that way. I don't know, but it's just that level of tenacity I always had because of, uh, and I did fear failure all the time. Um, really one quick anecdote. I had a girlfriend once who said, you're always working on your, your backup plan. Why don't you take all that energy on your backup plan and put it in the plan that you want? And that was shocking for Ooh, me.
0: That's powerful, man. Wow. Yeah. Hold on. I, I gotta stop you there because that is something that people do not understand. Why was that shocking for you? And then what happened?
2: It was shocking for me because she was 100% right. And two, it was that fear of failure. And I figured, well, if that doesn't work, I have this. And if that doesn't work, I have this. And if that doesn't work, I have this. Because that fear of going back to not being able to feed myself was always so prevalent. And, you know, wearing other people's clothes and getting picked on for it and people saying that's mine, you know. So I have a whole lot of stories in that. And, you know, it's all we could do. Um, and I just didn't want that. And, but at the same time, what I had to do then at that moment is say, you know what, you're right. And I am not going to, I'm going to go without the safety harness for a second and put it all in that and realize I can do it and, and then do what you need to do know, for you as an auditory person, it would be having that mantra that you say that was words of affirmation uh, that you that you need to hear every day about how wonderful what you're doing for the world and how you're helping people and how you're determined to make this the number one podcast in mental health and keep saying those things over and over again. Here's a here's a good example, too. So it was a couple years into the company. We're doing really well and I hated my life. I was an owner of a company that was winning 5,000, growing 30, 40%, and I hated my life. So one day I woke up and I said, This is stupid. Uh, Why do I hate my life? This is great. So every day on the ride to the Bronx, uh, I would just say, uh, You know, I just pick things like, and I don't mean to make a material because I'm not a very material person, but it was the only thing that was going well. I was like, I love my house. I love my car. I love my job, which I didn't at the time, but I said it anyway. I love my life. And I said those four things for the 40, 45 minute ride to the Bronx. I love my house. I love my car. I love my job. I love my life. And in two weeks later, I was happier. Everything was going well. Now, what changed? Really, what changed? Did my job change? No, it was still long hours and tough and difficult. And working out of an office trailer on the side of the Hutchinson River Parkway, it was hard. But my mindset changed and you can change your mind. I do believe this. I do believe you can change your mind in a snap. Because even when I had bulimia, I I got um, addressed by, you know, I got confronted with one of my roommates. And he says, that's not good for you. I said, you know what, you're right. It's not. And I never threw up again. Because I said and made that change say, this isn't good for me. And as soon as you make that really hard choice, and you feel it down in your, in your gut, in your chest, in your head, whatever resonates for you, then it's, you can make that change and you can, and now you start going through healing these traumas, um, by going back. And then again, everything is reincarnation. You get to do everything over again. You have a trauma. You can go find that point of that trauma and try to heal it. And for me, that fear of failure was do this. What's the worst thing that can happen? Okay. Yeah. The worst thing is that it's, worst thing that can happen is I don't get the contract. You know, it's a little bit tougher for me. But I'm never going to go all the way back to that, where, you know, to this day, Michael, I can't eat ramen noodles because that's all I could eat. Like I was in Japan on this really these great places with my best friend and I travel the world and we went to these and I best ramen in the world. Couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. Too many, too many 99 cents, you know. So I hope I answered the question. I think the really the answer is you have to really just focus on what you want and see that so another real quick story during the one of those summers working i was trying to get the money to go to england and go on exchange and so every day when i was working this incredibly stressful it's on an environmental disaster and dealing with the accounting there i pictured dollar bills across the atlantic ocean and every day it was like as much as hard as it was and being sleep deprived and uh stressed. It was like, all right, it's one more dollar bill across the ocean, one more dollar bill. I'm gonna make it. And and I'm a firm believer of present sacrifices for future benefits. What are you willing to sacrifice? There's nothing that comes like you said, like, oh, we both wrote books from beaches. Yeah, but I had 30 years of hard sacrifice to get me there. So I earned it. And then again, I also felt that I had a responsibility. I woke up. I'm living on the beach in Barbados. It was beautiful. I meditated exercise and then said, sit down and write because there was people in this world who would give their right arm for what you have. And you know what that's like. So that was motivating for me to sit down and do a good job because I knew there were so many people that would do anything to switch spaces with me. Yeah and and I'm
0: right there with you and there you know there's one of the really interesting things that I've had to go through in my journey is reconciling like that good enough aspect and just being like it's okay to do something that makes you feel fulfilled or happy without having to leverage someone else giving you approval. And it's like, Mm -hmm. when you can get there, because look, there are people who are going to be like, oh man, you guys run on a beach, go fuck yourself. And I'm like, look, I get it. But I was also fucking homeless for four years as a child. So that beach was like super dope. (laughs) And and, you know, you have to, you do have to be willing to sacrifice present things for the future. I mean, go look at the research of the marshmallow test where they give children the option shouldn't have a marshmallow when they're, you know, in elementary school, they can either take a marshmallow or wait for an undetermined period of time to potentially get another marshmallow. And unequivocally, the kids who did not have the instant gratification of the marshmallow were vastly more successful in life because of the willingness to sacrifice the immediate pleasure for the long-term gain. And and that's a hard thing to, like, reconcile when we live in this world of instant gratification, right? Instant hookups, instant food, instant cars, instant everything, instant life. And it's like, you know, one of the things that I found myself struggling with probably – it was probably in the fall, so October, November last year. I was like, man, I'm on my fucking phone, like, all the time, like, just buried in the instance of it. And and then I interviewed Dr. Anna Lamke who wrote Dopamine Nation, one of the arguably the greatest books I've ever read in my life. And it was like, oh, now I understand why I'm on my phone all the time. And again, that's really about that knowing yourself. I want to rewind for a minute. And I want to go back to your childhood and you talked about a few things that really hit me. One is like this idea of like wearing other people's clothes. I promise you, dude, I got totally called out for wearing some kid's jacket out of the, the lost and found at school when I was like in third grade. And, and I remember how painful that was mm-hmm. and just being like, man, this is fucking so embarrassing. I'm so tired of being poor what what does your healing journey look like like what has it been for you that has brought you to the place where you are today
2: slow steady uh not easy uh especially when you're during that time period, having ups and downs and failures as life has, I think a lot of it was really recognizing like, what was it, you know, understanding that I had a not good enough button and what always propelled me to succeed and push myself. And then just finding, I think as soon as I found healthy ways to deal with feeling good about myself and who I am and what I'm about and, and just really trying to be the best person that I can be. Uh, those were the things that I think helped the most and having little successes here and there uh, and an understanding what I really loved most out of life, which was travel. So I really not a things person. Uh, If you walk to my house, everything's 20 years old or older. I don't care. It works. It's fine. But you know, I like to travel and that's something that, that really having that goal of, okay, if I do this, I get that trip. Um, You know, so those things were, we're good. I mean, su- success definitely helps on some of that. And, but then never forgetting where you came from. Uh, so I'm a big believer in philanthropy and whether it's, you have time or money to donate. And one of the first things I did is set up a charitable fund. when right after I sold the company and, and I, I, I get a chance to, to donate to just things that I'm passionate about. You no, know, it's not, Everybody will ask you, but I'm really very strict about the things that I, and it has to be um, something that I'm really passionate about. Um, so that helps. Uh, yeah, for me, it was the same thing. It was a jacket that my mom got at the church, you know, sale and came up to me and he goes, That's my jacket. I said, No, it's mine. My mom gave it to me. He goes, No, that's my jacket. I said, No, my mom gave it to me. He goes, No, your mom bought it from my mom. And then the whole crowd of people laughing, you know. And I went home and like <laughs> threw it down. I'm like, don't find me other people's clothes, you know. And I, to this day, I can't really go into, you know, everywhere as cool as it is to a consignment shop. So I think that the pathway to healing was for me was really one step at a time, finding those areas where I could have those little successes. And I don't think you need big things, just little things about it and maybe saving up the money and and then go and buy in my own jacket for the first time. Um, I was always willing to save money and put things aside um, and, and wait for those moments. And I think you really have to get in and get ugly with yourself. This is hard to really dig in. And when I really started understanding my not good enough button and how it can easily be pushed by the people in my life whether they were partners or this or that and how they use that knowing that i would just work harder and work harder you know and be manipulated in that way until i took control over it and understood like well i am good enough you know wait i've just won these awards I, I, I must be good at what i do and not believing the messages that people tell you when they do tell you and criticize you and bring you down what's happening is they're seeing that gold inside you and they're, And they're afraid of your own greatness, of what you can do. So when those people are pushing that button, realizing that hurt people hurt people, and they're just seeing that greatness inside you, and it scares the hell out of them.
0: Yeah, it does. And you can't take that personally. You know, and that's, that's one of the really hard parts about it too, is because sometimes like it's, it's crazy to me. I got destroyed on social media last week and I'm just like, I cannot let that affect me. Right. Because every, every day someone will find a reason to tear you down, to cut you down, to, to bring you down to their level. It's just the nature of humanity. I speak, I think, especially where we live now, lots of people hiding behind their keyboards. Oh, and here's, here's a little trick that I play with myself that might be helpful or beneficial to some people. I always ask myself, would they say that to my face? At, at a 6'4", 220 pounds with a lot of martial arts experience, my guess yeah. is probably not, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of, you can leverage that thing and just go like, look, it's okay. I'm allowed to be me. Those people's opinions don't matter and run with it. One of the things I'm wondering is as you you got deep into writing this book, I'm wondering if you had the same experience as me. It became now writing multiple books. Each time is a little bit more and more cathartic, a little bit more and more healing, two parts to this question. One, did you find that to be true for you, that this was a healing and cathartic process for you? And then two, tell us a little bit more about the book and break down um, the narrative.
2: Sure, definitely. Uh, I call writing Headcase was the best form of therapy that I've ever had. Uh, And it's about, Headcase is the story about Dr. Andrew Beck, who is the a uh, go-to sports psychologist for troubled pro athletes. And there isn't a head he can't fix, except his own. And when his own inner demons get the best of him, he uses his insider knowledge to athletes in a wager, which leads him down a path of blackmail, a mysterious murder, and life-or-death bluffing. And his only way out is to go all in. And some of the themes in, in the story are all about if you don't discover your demons, they'll destroy you. And it doesn't matter if you're rich and famous or you're an athlete that can do things that only 0.01% of the world can do. If you don't discover these demons, they are going to bring you down. Um, so I get to talk about all the athletes. And you know, when, during my research, there's athletes that had horrific childhood and they just suffered so much, you know, and not enough attention is really given as well. Now we're starting to see it as mental health in sports and how important it is and, and how brave those athletes are coming out and talking about it. Uh, Michael Phelps is uh, the weight of gold and, you know, how some Olympians have committed suicide and uh, it's really, really important. So, you know, one of the, besides being an entertaining story that I hope that people would just enjoy uh, then it's also, you know, I want to raise awareness to mental health and sports. I mean, I have a, a picture, a pitcher who's a drug addict, who his father was an enabler and he pitched his whole rookie season high on amphetamines and, you know, lost, they took away his rookie of the year award, a uh, basketball player with impulse control issues because he grew up traumatic, father murdered, mother making bad decisions and bringing, you know, men into the house cause she couldn't deal with the, with it. And, you know, uh, a hockey player with rage issues. And then, you know, even uh, Dr. Andrew Beck, who's the son of Ted Beck, who was a master's champion. And he wanted Andrew, Andrew was a golf prodigy at five years old. And he wanted to be the first father and son master's champion. Andrew wanted to play baseball. And so we see his childhood traumas coming through and he can compartmentalize. And a lot of this is like Dr. Heal Thyself. So You know, as the reader goes through and people have told me this, like, why can't he fix himself? Like, because sometimes even though you have all this knowledge, you compartmentalize and it doesn't mean you can actually do the work and go into yourself and be able to do that. So his life, you know, starts off really high and starts going down. He's definitely a a tragic hero, as we see in book one, which is called Shock and Denial. Uh, And I've already started on book two. And uh, so... Yeah, it's an interesting journey and I I really just want people to be entertained. I hope that somebody picks up the book and for 20 minutes they just get a break from their life and they lose themselves in the world that I created and they just enjoy themselves. And and maybe, and this is why I wrote it. I hopefully maybe one day there's one person and one would be enough who read it and go, "You know, Chris, from what I read, I changed this in my life." To me, win. That would be the win. One yeah. person. That's all I would need. One person.
0: I resonate entirely, brother. Th- this conversation has been absolutely incredible. Uh, before I ask you my last question, can you please tell everyone where they can learn more? Yep,
2: yeah, You can learn all about Headcase at my website, www.chriskjones.com. You can also find me on Amazon. But if you go to the website, you can also download the first seven chapters for free. So i like want to give people a chance to read it and see if they get really into the story and then you you can go buy the book and i kept the price pretty reasonable as well but yeah really excited uh, uh, to be here and it's been really wonderful talking with you i knew we would i knew you know based on what you were doing i was so excited to have a chance to come and talk to you and i'm really thankful to to be on your show
0: yeah the honor is all mine brother this has been an absolute pleasure And of course we'll put the links in the show notes for the audience. And my last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken?
2: What I'm going to say, it may be difficult for some people to accept, but for me becoming unbroken, I use a meditation or visualization exercise of going back to those moments of trauma. And if possible, forgiving my abuser. And I know for some people that is just going to be impossible. And I respect that journey that they're on. And I respect that. Um, And then the next is another part of the visualization where me as an adult going back to that little boy who's traumatized and saying three things. I love you. It's not your fault. I will protect you. And I say that over and over again. I love you. It's not your fault. I will protect you over and over again until the tears start streaming. And then I feel that release in my heart or my gut. And when I do that, I know that I've made progress and then I know I'm on the way of becoming unbroken. Mm -hmm.
0: Brilliantly said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you. learn, grow, heal, change, and transform our trauma into triumph. I would love to have you come and be a part of the brand new community. Just check out thinkunbrokenacademy.com or click the link in the podcast description. And I cannot wait to see you there, my friend. Again, just head over to thinkunbrokenacademy.com. And until then, be unbroken. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.